This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on texts used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, and then verses 17 to 27. It's the reading for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, also known as proper number 8, in the year B cycle of the lectionary. It happens to be the lectionary reading for June 27, 2021. Today's passage of scripture is unique amongst all of these passages in the lectionary that occur from 1st and 2nd Samuel. Today's passage is a song, it's a lament. And I'd like to begin by talking about this lament and how this lament really happens in three separate parts. We're going to deal with each part quickly, but but before we get into each one of these parts, let's talk for just a moment about Hebrew poetry because that's how this particular text is organized. It reads much like the Psalms or Proverbs or even more sophisticated forms of poetry like Ecclesiastes or Lamentations. Now, this particular song of lament is quite likely from the hand of David. And Hebrew poetry has some unique markers, and they it doesn't have markers exactly like English poetry. Hebrew poetry primarily uses a marker called parallelism. And parallelism has to do with the different lines in the piece of poetry. And parallelism can occur in three different forms, typically. One is called antithetical. It's where the first line says the opposite of the second line. Another form is synonymous, where the first line says the same thing as the second line. And then synthetic. It's where the first line causes the second line to happen. Now, let's be clear, this always doesn't happen one line at a time. Sometimes it's groupings of lines together. So let me give you some examples of how Hebrew poetry in parallelism works. If you look at uh, verse 20 of this particular passage of Scripture, it says, Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. That verse as a whole is an example of antithetical parallelism. So the first two lines, tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, are in many ways the opposite of the last two lines. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. So you see how those groupings of lines are the opposites of each other. There's also an example in this very same verse of synonymous parallelism, and it happens in the first two lines. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. You see how both lines say the same thing, or the the last two lines. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. Those two lines say the same thing. That's synonymous. Now, finally, an example of synthetic parallelism is a little harder to find, but it's down in verse 21, and you can see it in the middle of the verse. It says this, Let not dew or rain be on you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty was defiled. See how there's a a relationship of cause between those two lines, like one line causes the other line. In this case, it's the second line I read causes the first line to actually happen. Now, all of that about parallelism aside, what is this lament about? Well, it's a lament of David 
over the death of King Saul and his beloved friend, Jonathan. And this lament has um, uh, stanzas in it uh, that are typical of lamentations that we find within Hebrew poetry. And oftentimes these stanzas, or David's lament he's going to have over Saul and Jonathan is in these three different parts. And the the way you can find it easily is look for the word how. Look at verse 19, how the mighty have fallen. And then you could skip down to verse 25, how the mighty have fallen. And then again in verse 27, how have the mighty fallen? So even though the words are repeating, it's the word how you're looking for that keys off each of the structural stanzas that exist within the lamentation. So in the first lamentation begins in verse 19. How the mighty have fallen, it says at the end of the verse. And this is a lamentation focused on the death of Saul and Jonathan together. And so David's lament is, first of all, don't tell anyone in Gath or Ashkelon. Those are two of the five chief cities of the Philistine empire. So David is saying, you don't want them to know about this. Otherwise, they're going to rejoice in this great victory the Philistines have had over Saul and Jonathan. But David, at the same time, he extols the virtues of Saul and his son, Jonathan. And keep in mind, if you read earlier in the end of 2 Samuel, we'd read how Saul actually died. Three of his sons died that day, one of whom was Jonathan, and Saul himself eventually died by suicide. This whole first section from verse 19 onward is an exploration of the the curse that falls on the mountain of Gilboa, where Saul died, It's a tribute to the greatness of Saul and Jonathan as warriors and their capacity to lead the sons of Israel into battle. The second stanza is way down at verse 25, and this one is not focused on Saul and Jonathan. This one is focused exclusively on Jonathan, and we're going to spend more time on this in just a moment. But suffice it to say that that David is really bound by this covenant with Jonathan. He says, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan is slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of a woman. This lament is more personal here, where, where David is intimate in his expression about Jonathan's meaningfulness in his life. And, and we're really going to talk about this more in just a moment, but I just want you to see the structure. First, the tribute to Saul and Jonathan. Second, the tribute specifically to Jonathan. And then third and finally in verse 27, it says, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. So now instead of talking about Saul and Jonathan, it's about the weapons of war have perished when the mighty have fallen. That this season of Israel's life, under the leadership of King Saul and his family has come to a close. The weapons of war have perished. Now, that doesn't mean that David's not going to be a warrior in his coming reign as king, but what it is to say is that this is a chapter that has come to some conclusion. The word, by the way, in verse 27, verse 25, and verse 19, where it says, how the mighty have fallen, that word for mighty can also be rendered warrior in Hebrew. So you could write how the warrior has fallen as well. Take note of a couple things here. Number one, there's no mention of God anywhere in this text. And this is about lament. 
It was common in ancient Israel, even in this time, to have professional mourners. Those that would champion the song would teach it to people, and they would, would cry out in song together, singing the song of lament. And what this song of lament is really about is that it's an embracing of the death and the loss, not only of Saul and Jonathan and his uh, family, but it's about the ending of this season. And to be honest, it's about a tragic ending to a tragic story. And that really takes us to the key passageway I want to highlight. First is this, that the season of lament should not elude us. The season of lament should not elude us. You know, it's, it's easy to turn the page and focus on that which is to come next. It's easy to just kind of move on when seasons end, when moments are over, even when people die or leaders die. And what we hear in this song of lament from David is that death and dying and tragedy, they demand a moment to be observed. In our rush to move forward, we need to pause for a moment and live in these moments of lament. I also want to highlight in this week's podcast not just the structure and the meaning of this song of lament, but I want to lift up something that's kind of beneath the text. And what that is, is the authenticity of David. This song of lament that opens 2 Samuel chapter 1, it's a shining example of David's leadership. And there are scholars that would argue that David's leadership is at its apex at this moment. Now, keep in mind, David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel, and he was anointed by Samuel when David was just a boy in Bethlehem. He hasn't actually been publicly or officially anointed as the new king over Israel. But yet, even without that title, with, even without that, that conveyed authority that would come from the anointing that, that the people would put upon him, David's leadership, I do agree, is at its apex at this moment. You see, throughout Saul's latter days, when David was ascendant, Saul was threatened by David in every way. And you can read about these stories in the closing chapters of 1 Samuel. Saul tried to find ways to bring David into his household. He married his daughter to David. Uh, David made a covenant with his son, Jonathan, and Jonathan and David were very, very close. It is the, 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 the defining friendship relationship, perhaps in all of scripture, in the relationship between David and Jonathan. Despite Saul's kind of paranoia about David's rising star, David never tried to usurp Saul's power. David never put himself in a position where he was perceived based on his own behavior as a usurper. This is the authenticity David has. David, David later in his life is going to have a man murdered in order to take his wife. And not just any death, David has this man die in a military battle so he can take his wife. This is exactly how David ends up murdering Uriah and taking his wife Bathsheba for himself. Even though David does that later, it's at this moment in time David has avoided 
this competition with Saul. He's avoided usurping him. Even though everyone in the nation knows that David is going to succeed Saul, David has refused to step into that space as long as Saul is reigning. Even though Saul tried to murder him, even though Saul tried condemning him, even though Saul had failed in battle, even though Saul came to a shameful demise, even Saul committed suicide at the end of his life in the midst of his grief and the loss of battle. This song, this song is a, an outpouring of David's heart like no other. It's disclosive, it's intimate, it's vulnerable, it's honest, it's honoring, and it's graceful. But take note that the lament that David writes here is not a biography of Saul's life. It's not a biography of Jonathan's life. And most importantly, it's not even a biography of David's own life. It is an appropriate song of lament. And it's a pause before the season shifts. The page turns from Saul's leadership to David's. David is patient. He's long-suffering. He knows this time will come. But even here, he does not rush. When this story is over, this lament is finished, it uh, reads in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel that David discerns from the Lord where he should go next, and God tells him to go to Hebron. And so David goes to Hebron and, and camps there. And it's there in Hebron later that David is anointed the king over Judah, not Israel, but Judah, and embarks on a journey of uniting all 12 tribes under the banner of his leadership. And the key passageway here is this. It's the second key passageway I wanted to discuss today. That confidence and faith in God create authenticity. You see, there's no mixed motive here. David can lament because he was honest. At, at no point in this story in 1 Samuel that we read leading up to this point did, did David try to assassinate Saul. He didn't scheme against Saul. He didn't try to depose Saul as king. David knew his time would come. He was honest about God's leadership for his life. And it's this confidence and faith in God that created this authentic moment of lament for David. You see, oftentimes in these moments of transition, we sense weakness so that we try to, to lever the situation to our benefit. We try to seize the moment. We try to take. We try to possess. We try to posture. Instead, what we learn here in this text, rich as it is, is that we must trust our life to, and our destiny to God. And it's what makes David's lament real. It makes David authentic until he forgets his confidence and faith in God, which will eventually lead him to murder and adultery. Friends, confidence and faith in God create authenticity. It's not just about being honest with people. It's about having a kind of honesty that flows from a sense of integrity and a deeply held ethic that knows who we are in Christ and who we are in God. And David embodies that kind of confidence and faith. May we all remember the very same thing. That's it for this week. I bid all of you grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.